Hey, welcome back to Well That's Interesting, the I don't really care if they're extinct or deadly, I want one edition. Today is episode 168, World's Only Cold-Blooded Mammal Was a Tiny Goat. And let's talk about this deadly-as-fuck jellyfish, also tiny. My friends, happy goddamn holiday to you, whatever it may be. I have not one, but two beautifully wrapped gifts ready to be torn into, and they've got your name on them. Let's get into it. In the first half of the show, we'll be heading on over to one of the most painfully gorgeous places on Earth, where back in the very early 1900s, the remains of a very tiny but groundbreaking creature were found. Now, when I say goat, you're probably imagining a warm-blooded, floppy-eared, braying animal that eats just about everything, from plants to a little kid's shirt at a petting zoo. And I'm sure... You've seen those Instagram or TikTok videos of them scaling impossibly vertical cliffs or trees or even bouncing off other farm animals. Just fucking adorable. So odds are you're probably thinking of a classic domesticated goat with a pair of horns, perhaps, and maybe one that's around, I don't know, 50 or 60 pounds. And a fun fact, because I can't help myself and I have to squeeze one in here, um, some breeds can weigh up to 300 pounds as an adult. 300 pounds. I think that's a little too big. Anyway, what if I told you, once upon a time, for a very long time, on an island in the Mediterranean, there once lived a species of goat that was remarkably tiny, and its metabolism was more like a reptile than a mammal. Yes, my friends, we're going to talk about the world's only known cold-blooded mammal, and it was also fucking adorable. Then after the break... A creature the size of a dime that can cause immense pain. And where else could it be found but Australia? Yet we're heading on back to the land down under where just this past spooky season, two grown-ass men had to be airlifted to a hospital after an accidental encounter with this venomous sea critter. I will have the honor of introducing you to this jellyfish and its sting, which is so infamous, an actual syndrome is named after it. Uh, by the way, these gifts are non-refundable. Hi, I'm Jill Chacha. And if this is your first time listening, welcome to the flock, my many-limbed business goose. To begin, I'm going to need you to grab the nog and fire up the old time machine because we're heading on back to 1909. And we're looking over the shoulder of Reverend Robert Ashington Bullen. And as you could tell by the name, Bobby was an Anglican priest and British as fuck, but he wasn't only down with the Lord and the Church of England. Bobby Ashy was also passionate about geology and snails. So clearly this guy was a good fucking time. His studies allowed him to travel the world, and he found himself returning again and again to Europe and the Mediterranean, specifically France, Italy, and Spain. And Spain is where we currently find Bobby writing a letter to Dorothy Bate, a hero, a fucking hero, my adorable business goose, who you probably never knew existed. Very long story short, Dorothy was a well-respected and accomplished woman in the fields dominated by men who were born in the early 1800s. She was a paleontologist and a pioneer of archaeozoology. She made it her life's work to find fossils of extinct mammals, specifically mammals whose evolution drove them to gigantism or dwarf forms, and wanted to understand, wanted to understand why they took such a turn. 
Additional inspirational fun fact, she got her start at the age of 19, landing a job at the Natural History Museum in London, sorting bird skins. Yes, you heard me, sorting skin in the Department of Zoology's bird room, uh, and then she later moved on to preparing fossils. According to the wiki, she was probably the first woman to be employed as a scientist by the museum. And she remained there for 50 goddamn years. So round of a fucking applause. But right now, for this story, it's 1909. And Bobby is writing a letter to Dorothy because he knows she's the only person who could properly handle what he saw. While doing a geologic slash snail survey in the Balearic Islands, on one particular island, Bobby came across a bone-bearing brachia deposit. Now, what in the holy hell did I just say? What were those words? And where are the Balearic Islands? Don't worry, I've got you. Please, everyone, imagine Spain. Thank you. Now point to the middle of the East Coast. Okay, perfect. Now move your finger to the right over the Balearic Sea, just a smidge, back, perfect, right there. Now, here you'll find a stunning archipelago of 151 islands, and perhaps the most recognizable one of all is Majorca. And it just so happens, it was on Majorca that Bobby saw this brachia deposit. Now, what the fuck is that? Well, brachia is Italian for rubble. And that's a pretty good visual visualization for what this rock looks like. Um, if you imagine a bunch of different rocks cemented to together to form like one big rock, that's basically it. Um, if you need a food comparison, because why the fuck not, imagine a bunch of nuts suspended in caramel. That was, yeah, that, that one works, right? That's a better one. <laughs> so it totally works. So within one particular nutty conglomerate in Majorca, bones happen to be visible. Tiny bones. This being an island and all, and these being tiny bones, this could mean they belong to an animal that shrunk down to adapt. So Dorothy was called to investigate, and you bet your tiny ass she made her way over. Probably donned in a full-length dress and puffy sleeves, she excavated a nearly complete skull with a mandible and vertebra attached. This Shakespearean moment of holding a skull was the beginning of a series of discoveries that would have taken place up until 2010. 2010. Put a pin in this. In the meantime, it's 1909, and Dorothy found and named a new species of goat, Myotragus bellyaricus. And the name, oh my god, the name is adorable, and it just reveals so much about this animal. Okay. Myotragus translates from Neo-Latin and Greek to mouse goat. <sighs> yeah, you heard me. Mouse goat. If, if you have, like, a special someone in your life, mouse goat is their pet name now because that's i don't make the rules this is just this is just how it is so let's get into why dorothy chose something so goddamn unbearably cute well judging by the skull alone this particular species as an adult only grew to 18 inches or 45 centimeters at the shoulder so it was it was only a foot and a half tall i know hold on I have to pull myself together. Okay, it gets cuter. The kids were probably the size of puppies. Uh-huh. Did you just vomit everywhere? Did you explode? Did you shatter into a million pieces? Okay, I'll give you a second to pick yourself up. 
in the meantime, I can tell you some really other interesting uh, details that Dorothy took note of. One, the eye sockets. They were forward-facing and not at the, s- the far sides of the skull. This could indicate, by the time Myotragus came around to be, that there were no or very few predators on Mallorca to watch out for. And this? That's a positive for sure, but some signs indicate Myotragus' survival was really a harsh one. Their reduction in size also affected their brain. It was half the size of other comparably sized goats. The structures associated with vision, sound, and smell were strongly reduced, which meant, quote, these likely represented optimizations to the animal's energy budget. As neural tissue like this is energetically expensive to maintain, and much of it was unnecessary in a resource-limited environment where there was little need to detect predators. End quote from the wiki. So, on one hand, we have a few predators, but on the other, we have a limited diet determined by the boundaries of this island. So thus, our goat looks as it does and why it shrank, if you will. These were Dorothy's observations, and they were groundbreaking revelations for the time. But in 1909, little did Dorothy know to what extremes were the mouse goat's adaptations. My friends, join me, will you, 100 years later, in 2009, when researchers Makey Kohler, nailed it, and Salvador Maya Sala published A Doozy of a Pickle. They dusted off the bones of Myotragus belliaricus and had a second look on a microscopic level. What they revealed shocked even the most seasoned biologists. As so wonderfully summed up by Eleanor Higgs of IFL Science, quote, reptiles grow very slowly and have the ability to control or even completely stop their growth based on resource availability. This periodic slowing or cessation of the growth rate leaves telltale signs in the bones of these species. By looking at the bone histology of these extinct goats, researchers found the same lamellar zone tissues, which had previously only been found in ectothermic reptiles. The team compared the goat bones to those of crocodiles and found remarkable similarities with the same ability, the same ability to have slow and flexible growth rates and even stop growing altogether. End quote. My friends, you heard Eleanor right. Within the bones of cold-blooded or ectothermic reptiles, you can find parallel growth lines that are as revealing as the rings in a tree trunk. When times are tough, growth and metabolism are adjusted to suit the amount of food available. Whereas us warm-blooded animals, generally there's no interruption in bone growth. We hit our milestones as time marches on no matter the availability of resources. But these goats, the mouse goat, it took the path of the reptile to survive on its island out at sea. Myotragus is the first and only known mammal to have done this. And because of this, what we think of when we think goat is completely flipped. It's believed the mouse goat reached maturity around 12 years old. If that sounds crazy to you, it kind of is. According to the MSD Veterinary Manual, in typical goat species, a female may reach sexual maturity around nine months. Nine months! This is 12 years. That is a huge difference. Also different? Don't expect these slow-growing goats to be popping off like you see on Instagram. They probably had to take it easy 
and spend their days just sunbathing rather than just running around. And to be honest, a a pile of tiny goats huddled together taking a siesta sounds adorable. And I know what you may be thinking though, a cold-blooded goat just doesn't appear overnight, especially on an island. Where where did this little fucker come from? Pet? That, my steamy goat, my steamy business goose. <laughs> steamy goat? No, not at all. That was good. No. Delete that. My steamy business goose? That is a great question. I have even more cute news for you. Since 1909, there have been five other Myotragus goat species related to Balearicus found throughout the islands, all telling the tale of the incredible shrinking goat. Let's get into it. Once upon a time, the ancestor of Myotragus arrived in the Balearic Islands at, the, at a time at which the Strait of Gibraltar closed and the Mediterranean Sea evaporated substantially. And this happened about six million or so years ago. But eventually, the sea returned, refilling as the hundreds of thousands of years passed and at the beginning of what was called the Pliocene Era, Around 5.3 million years ago, the now full Mediterranean Sea isolated the animal populations on the island. And this began the Great Shrinking. Myotragus palumboi was is the I think I Myotragus palumboi is the oldest relative found so far, followed by Pepcanelle, Anticus, Copperi, and Badei all shrinking down from 130 pounds down to 50, 50 pounds and a foot and a half foot tall with our adorably named mouse goat, Myotragus balearicus. My friends, this transformation occurred over five million years. So yeah, stocky, tiny, slow ass goats roamed these Spanish islands for five million years, which probably leads us to your next question. What happened? Well, I'll give you one bipedal guess. That's right. Around 4,500 years ago, or 3000 BC, humans made their way to Majorca. And it's believed, quote, extinction was likely rapid within less than 100 years of human arrival on the islands, end quote, from the wiki. That is a terrible fucking bummer. Um, sorry about that. That there, there's no holiday cheer here. Um, it is ground. It is just heartbreaking to have a species be around for five million years and then for it to disappear in around a hundred. It's also we could have had tiny goats, y'all. We could have had tiny goats. This is why we can't have anything nice. So, you feel my anger. I feel your anger. So in return, after the break. A tiny creature that could really fuck people up. I mean, like, bad. Like, real, real, real bad. Like, bad, bad. Not bad. Bad, bad. So you're going to want to stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. We are so back. And my friends, I'm going to need you to slap on some sunscreen and bite down on a wooden spoon because we're heading on over to Dundee Beach in Australia. Now, you're probably wondering why you may need a wooden spoon. Well, it'll become apparent in a moment. And for my fellow geographically challenged Americans, you may be wondering where Dundee Beach is exactly. Well, don't worry, I've got you. Everyone, please imagine Australia. Thank you. Now point to the middle of the northern coastline. Okay, that's it. That's it. There is Dundee Beach along the coast of the Northern Territory, or NT for short. And just this past October, on Tuesday the 17th, two men felt a pain so intense, for some people, it leads to cardiac arrest. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let's start with the distress signal. At 2 p.m. local time, the NT Coast Guard received a call from a fisherman's boat located around 12 miles or 19 kilometers off the shores of Dundee. According to the one man who was well enough to speak, the two fishermen aboard were suddenly struck with extraordinary back pain, debilitating muscle cramps, nausea, vomiting, profuse sweating, a headache, just to name a few symptoms. Their location and their dire physical condition all pointed to a tiny culprit and a syndrome. My friends, please stop whatever it is you're doing. If you're driving right now, just hit the brakes and stop in the middle of the road. It's fine, don't worry. You need to, to just to look. You need to look at what took down two grown Australian fishermen. Okay, head on over to our social media stuffs and tap on today's post. Swipe through all those tiny goat photos. Mm-hmm. I know, they're really cute, but try to get past them. You're going to see a jellyfish. And I have to say, it's an equally adorable jellyfish. My friends, if you're currently in pain and can't open Instagram or Twitter or X, Y, Z, whatever the fuck, just doodle in your head a jellyfish. That's it. For real. It's a classic looking jelly with a bell comb. And this little one only has four tentacles, though. And honestly... Thankfully, only four. My friends, behold, the majesty that is Karokia Barnisi. Now, when I said little one, I really, really meant it. This species is only around eight-tenths of an inch or two centimeters long, which is about the size of a dime. But, it, but this is one of the most venomous marine creatures on Earth. Now, if you're an animal lover, you're probably aware of the box jellyfish. Okay, perfect. This little Barnisi here is a part of that group. Specifically, though, it is one of 16 known species of Irokanji jellyfish, and the deep waters of the Northern Territory call, are, are its home. Now, before we get into just how fucked up their sting is, I am happy to report, quote, the men were airlifted via a Careflight NT rescue helicopter to Royal Darwin Hospital. 
NT Health confirmed the pair had been discharged from hospital on Thursday, 48 hours after being stung. End quote. From 7news.com.au. The article then ends with this mic drop and absolutely no follow-up. Quote, the Irokanji jellyfish is the smallest and most venomous species of box jellyfish in the world. Armed with venom to be 100 times as potent as that of a cobra, the tiny jellyfish are responsible for leaving more than 50 sting victims in hospital each year. There have been two confirmed Irokanji deaths in Australia. End quote. End scene. Thank you, Seven News. Um, so, yes, my nervous business goose, these two men are lucky that their bodies could withstand and survive the pain they experienced. It's a pain so goddamn awful, it has its own medical term, Irokanji syndrome. Let's get into it. According to Harry Baker of LiveScience.com, Lil Barnese here <laughs> administers their toxin, quote, using specialized stinging cells known as nematocytes, with which line their four tentacles and fire venom-filled barbs into their prey or as a defense mechanism against predators. Due to their small size, most people are unaware of the jellyfish until they've been stung." End quote. So, my friends, if this does happen to you or someone you know, it's totally accidental. Your big human floppy body just swam into it, so please don't take it personal, despite how awful you may feel. Um, speaking of which, you probably want to know how this toxin works. Well, I've got you. Irokanji venom works in a very similar way to tetrodotoxins, which is one of the world's most potent venoms which can be found in the equally adorable pufferfish and blue-ringed octopuses. Both of these block sodium ion channels throughout the body, which is a big problem. This basically interferes with the transmission of signals from nerves to muscles, and your body goes haywire. You may feel rapid, rapid weakening and paralysis of muscles, including those of your respiratory tract, which is not good. Um, you'll definitely feel what those two men felt, severe pain, muscle cramping, and hypertension, which could lead to potentially life-threatening potentially life cardiac problems. God, you'll be in so much pain, you'll puke. But perhaps the best fucking symptom of Irokanji syndrome of all, the best fucking one, and I quote, quote, the syndrome is classically associated with a sense of impending doom. End quote. Oh my God. That was from the National Library of Medicine, and I have never heard of a symptom being impending doom. <laughs> I've never heard of anything like that before. I mean, is it, a sin is it part of the syndrome? Is it just life? I anyway, good news. Um, there's no known anti-venom for Irokanji. <laughs> it just keeps getting better. So there's no anti-venom and treatment is only supportive. According to the National Library of Medicine, all medical professionals can do is basically make you as comfortable as possible and make sure you don't die. And they do this in five steps. <laughs> One, patient stabilization. Two, preventing, preventing further nematocyte discharge, Ugh. alleviating local venom effects, including pain and tissue damage, controlling the systemic effects of envenomation, and five, preventing complications associated 
with Irokanji syndrome. And that's it. They keep an eye on you as you tough it out. And uh, speaking of steps, if you or your friend, because we all have that friend, is stung by little Barnisi, according to Australian.museum, here is what you can do. One, if stung, call emergency services. <laughs> two, be prepared to give CPR if necessary. That's step number two. Okay, three, calm the patient, okay, and stop them from rubbing the stung area. Gently pick off any tentacles with tweezers. Apply a cold pack or ice wrapped in cloth to reduce pain. Number six, do not wash an irokanji sting with fresh water. And number seven, seek medical attention as soon as possible. And um, while you're waiting for medical attention, you can entertain your friend by telling them the irokanji syndrome origin story. Yes, I have it for you. Get this. Okay. It was named in 1952 by Hugo Flecker, after an Aboriginal tribe located in North Queensland. And of course, as we know, it's mostly associated with this species, Karokia banisi. But get this, this is when it gets good. <clears throat> that jellyfish was named after scientist Jack Barnes, who, quote, discovered the species as the causative organism of the condition. Interestingly, he established the causative relationship after envenomating himself, his son, and a local lifeguard, which subsequently required treatment for the ensuing condition in a hospital. As such, this particular species is commonly referred to as the Irokanji jellyfish, end quote, from the great National Library of Medicine. <laughs> there is no background. There is no further information as to why his son and a lifeguard were involved in this. <laughs> I'm thinking Jack Barnes was a weekend dad, you know? Um, and that's, and that's that. Thank you for rating, listening, subscribing, telling your friends about the tiniest, tiniest goat. That just so happens to be cold blooded and it was around for a really long time. And then, then not. Um, <clears throat> and then tell them about the tiny jellyfish that just, Oh, it's God, it's so tiny. You have to check out those photos. Oh, God. And a paralyzing thanks. Tell them about Jack Barnes. That's, I would start with Jack. <laughs> and a paralyzing thanks to the folks over at Airwave Media, the podcast network to which WTI belongs. If you love this show, you love the other podcasts in this family, and please stay interesting. <laughs>